Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. U.S. abortion clinics are fighting to survive. Since 2010, hundreds of laws regulating abortion clinics have been passed by conservative state legislators, uh, particularly in the South. These restrictions are known as trap laws, or targeted regulation of abortion providers, and they are spreading across America. Faced with the increasing cost of compliance and the alarming fear of violence from protesters, the stakes for women and men on the front lines couldn't be higher. Trapped follows clinic workers and lawyers, including those who will be arguing a very important case before the Supreme Court this this month, actually, and are fighting to keep abortion safe for millions of American women, many of whom are poor and uninsured. The film is Trapped. The director is Don Porter. Don is also known for many other documentaries, but uh, in particular, uh, Gideon's Army and Spies of Mississippi, remarkable filmmaker, and we're so thrilled and honored to have her join us again here on Film School. Don Porter, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. I don't know at this point if a lot of people don't think that uh, a women's right to choose is under attack, but I doubt they understand how pervasive and how brutal this particular trend is among legislatures. Um, talk talk about the, what's going on and maybe a little bit about how you you came to want to do the documentary. Yeah, you know, um, you, you've actually just exactly put your finger on, um, on both of the reasons that, that kind of compelled me to start working on this film. Um, I, I certainly count myself among people who support a woman's right to choose and thought that I was kind of up on politics in the news. Um, I was in Jackson, Mississippi, and I read in the local newspaper that there was only one abortion clinic in the entire state. Um, and to give you um, some context for that, in the in the New York metropolitan area, there are about 80 facilities. Wow. So, but in Mississippi, there's one clinic open. Um, and I just couldn't believe that. And it was exactly what you're pointing out, which is, I think many people, you know, 80% of Americans believe that abortion, um, there should be a right to abortion, at least in some circumstances. And there's a range of opinions. Some people believe always, some people believe save the you know, health and life of the mother. But overwhelmingly, Americans are, you know, are support a woman's right to make a decision. Um, and yet, there in the past five years in particular, um, there have been um, more than 250 laws passed just to regulate clinics um, and laws that are passed that the clinics can't comply with. And, and that's what I thought was so important to point out um, is that these laws, which seem so seem reasonable on their face, um, are actually designed to close clinics. And that's what this Supreme Court case is about. Um, and uh, that's that's why the laws are called trap laws. And and at one point, was the experience in Jackson was that sort of uh, the thing that that put in your mind? I've got to do something. Take the resources and the talent and the people that I know to go out and and uh, make traps. Um, it really was. I was. I, I called up that clinic, the one remaining clinic, yeah. 
um, and uh, asked if I could come over, and I met Dr. Willie Parker, who is uh, one of just a handful of physicians who performs abortions um, in Mississippi and some other states in the Deep South. And uh, he a remarkable person. He's an African-American physician. He grew up in Alabama. He's very religious. He didn't do abortions for the first 12 years of his career. Um, and then he saw women who were dying um, because they tried to self-abort. He saw women who were not getting medical care. And, uh, you know, as he said to me, I think Jesus wants me to do health care. Um, <laughs> and, he, you know, he hasn't looked back. Um, but, but his story really exemplifies what's actually happening um, in abortion care around the South, but also around this country. You know, the um, Alan Guttmacher Institute estimates that uh, 27 states in America are categorized as extremely hostile to abortion rights. And so, you know, the question for me was, if so many Americans are pro-choice, how could it be that very restrictive laws that have closed more than half of America's abortion clinics, how could, what, there's a, there seemed to be a disconnect there, and that, that's what I wanted to look into. Yeah, it is an insidious uh, but also determined effort on the part of these very conservative, I will I, I Republicans, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call them out, that I, I, there are probably some Democrats who are, um, who are going along with this, but it's predominantly Republican legislatures around the country. Um, I don't want to turn this into a partisan thing again, but it just it is. I think the facts on the ground are that. Um, and let's go back just for for people to sort of understand, because it's been such a long time ago, uh, Roe v. Wade, and how what the yeah. profound impact that had on a woman's right to be able to uh, choose. Well, you know, so Roe v. Wade was decided in 1973, um, and before Roe v. Wade, uh, 46 states had law had laws outlawing abortion. So it was incredible overnight, you know, an incredible sea change in the approach to you know whether women could have a safe and legal abortion. But so a very interesting thing happened after Roe. Before Roe v. Wade. The, um, in many states, the only way that you could get an abortion was if uh, a woman would go before a panel of physicians and state her case and get approval from a panel in order to terminate a pregnancy. Um, and I, I interviewed a doctor who worked in Alabama um, and has worked in Alabama for 30 years until he's just retired. And he told me, um, you know, he had a young woman who... Um, was raped and wanted to end a pregnancy and she came to him and so he appeared with her before a panel of men at where she had to recount why she couldn't continue the pregnancy and why it would be a hardship and he was so outraged by her experience that he was determined to provide abortions so um so that was the state before roe v wade once roe v wade was decided in 1973 um uh, Roe said you can't reg states can't regulate or can't outlaw abortion in the first trimester. They just they just can't do it. And what that did then was uh, it led to a number of abortion clinics coming into existence. And abortion today and since the time of Roe is ma are mainly performed in outpatient clinics, the same kind of clinics where you would go for OBGYN care or a dentist office or mm -hmm. um, cosmetic surgery, the same kind of, you know, small medical offices. 
1993, there was a decision, Planned Parenthood versus Casey. And the Casey decision said um, there, sh- there should not be a prohibition, uh, an outright prohibition that uh, on regulating abortion in the first trimester. So Casey said states can regulate abortion um, if it's for the health and safety of women. Um, what, ironically, that led to was uh, anti-choice activists targeting uh, developing laws that they say are for health and safety, but actually over time have been crafted so that they're impossible for abortion clinics and abortion doctors to meet. And so as a result, since the time of Casey, you've seen uh, slow, you know, abortion clinics have closed. But that effort to close clinics took off um, like lightning in 2010. And what happened there is 2008, President Obama is elected. In 2010, you have a very conservative backlash to the election of uh, President Obama. And you have a number of Tea Party activists and very conservative evangelicals coming into state government. And one of their first objectives coming into, into power in 2010 was to start regulating abortion clinics. So after 2010, you saw a number one priority at the state and local level for these conservative governments to write and enact laws that uh, regulate abortion clinics. But they don't just regulate abortion clinics. Um, The laws are written by a group called Americans United for Life, um, and they're designed to make it hard for abortion providers. And in fact, they have been so effective that, um, you know, in many states, you now have just a handful or even one abortion clinic um, to serve an entire state, an entire population of women of reproductive age. That's, uh, I want to remind our listeners, we're speaking with Dawn Porter. She's the director of the new documentary called Trapped. Um, she's also responsible for Gideon's Army and Spies of Mississippi. Um, and that's why I used the word insidious when I said earlier, because this is just, this is a barely, I mean, not even disguised attempt to essentially outlaw uh, abortion by gaming the system to the point where, as you said, it just makes it nearly impossible for someone to provide the service as well as makes it almost impossible for people to get to the service. So that that two-tracked approach to it. And I, I... and it's a, by the way, it's a safe procedure for women. I think the woman who owns the clinic is in Alabama was talking about, um, you know, the the uh, there's a woman asked her about infection or you know, not if this yeah. happens, not being able to have a baby um, uh, later on. Well, it was just a remarkable 15 years where you know no one had uh, been. Well, yeah. I can't remember the circumstances exactly, but very safe. For women. Well, you know, both the, I mean, it's very telling that the American Medical Association, the American College of Gynecologists right. and Obstetricians um, oppose these laws as medically unnecessary. Um, it's universally recognized that abortion is one of the safest outpatient procedures. A very recent California study um, uh, examined 63,000 abortions performed in the state. Um, there was less than 2% complication rate overall and less than 1% serious complication requiring hospital admissions. Um, So, you know, I don't think uh, none of the clinics that I saw 
were opposed to regulation. They're all interested in providing good patient care. Um, But these regulations, they can't comply with. Um, So, for example, the regulations would require that you widen your hallways by a few inches, um, that you um, uh, have uh, freestanding oxygen. Um, In Texas, there are about 114 pages of regulations um, that if clinics want to comply with them would cost um, in excess of a million dollars to retrofit their businesses. So abortion clinics are usually small businesses. Um, And so what you've seen since these regulations went into effect, in Texas, for example, there were about 40 abortion clinics um, when the Texas law went into effect. Today there are 19. Um, If the Supreme Court upholds the Texas law, that number will be further reduced to about nine, and they will all be centered in major metropolitan areas. So you have women in Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, traveling for hundreds of miles to receive an abortion clinic. The other thing that this does is it means that the waiting times for an abortion are getting longer and longer, Mm -hmm. which means that women who could have obtained a safe abortion, the safest time to do it is in the first trimester, but because the clinics are becoming overrun, um, it pushes you into the second trimester, which is, um, you know, can be more complicated. It's certainly more expensive. Women are traveling hundreds of miles. These are often low-income women. Um, so, you know, there's really an assault. Um, there's so many barriers being put in front of a woman that the, the question before the Supreme Court is whether this is an undue burden, um, whether these are a serious obstacle to a, a woman uh, trying to exercise her right to choose. So it is one of the most important reproductive justice cases before the Supreme Court in the last 25 years. It's a hugely important case. It, it, it really is, and it's HB2. Uh, and That's it, right. And it could not be more important uh, in terms of your, of the impact it will have moving forward for women. And the other part of this is, you know, we, we just, uh, you know, I don't want to say what I really think about Antonio Scalia, but uh, that the fact that he's no longer on the court makes all of this increasingly more important in terms of the decisions we make moving forward with our with the people who govern us. Um, so uh, it it's it all these things are coming to a point where it's time to step up for people who are concerned and are interested in maintaining safe legal abortions for people. Um, for women. And I just, it is, it is in, in a remarkable sort of confluence of events here that are going on, they're taking place. That's true. And that's, you know, that's um, one of the things I love about documentary film is um, these issues are complicated. Um, and, you know, in today's very crowded media landscape, it can be difficult to explain the importance, particularly of things that sound reasonable on their face. Um, and so, you know, I felt like finding a character like Dr. Parker and being embedded in the clinics and showing people, you know, many people have not been in an abortion clinic, so their only information is from people who are opposed to them. Um, I had never been in an abortion clinic. Um, and, you know, when I, when I was there filming, I was filming over two and a half years. I spent time in six different clinics. Um, and what, it was so striking to me was how hard the clinic workers, um, you know, work in order to make it safe 
and warm and, uh, you know, they address kind of the women are coming in there with such shame and, and they're, the procedure is such, so stigmatized. Um, and, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of out there alone, people who provide uh, abortions. And um, I wanted to give them a chance to, you know, tell their own story. So, um, you know, it mm-hmm. was, it was really eye-opening for me to be there for so long and to see kind of day-to-day what goes on in the clinic. Yeah, and that's one of the marks of a of a great documentary. I've always found that the ability to shine a light on the the micro, the 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 human level, the ground level, and and in the process illuminate the 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 bigger picture. And that's what Trap does. And it, and with yeah. all of your all of your documentaries, Gideon's Army, Spies of Mississippi, My Brother's Keeper, uh, all of these things are um, are just uh, that's what makes that's the difference between it for me a good documentary and a great documentary. And um, this again, this one does that. I I want to get into some territory, and I I don't know if I'm going too far afield here, but this because. The abortions, particularly in the South, particularly the opportun- the uh, uh, options of, of women in the South, it feels like it is mostly poor. Women of means can fly to New York or Los Angeles, I assume, or places where it is more readily available. But this, along with some of the other, Gideon's Army, the work of Michelle Alexander, there, it feels like there is. This is the new Jim Crow. I mean, and and help me out. Am I am I extrapolating no, too far? No, I, no, I no, I I think you know one of the the things that was so striking to me, and um, you know, so when you think about who uses a public clinic, abortion is not covered by a lot of medical insurance, or people are uninsured. Right. If you're low income, Medicaid does not cover abortion because there's the Hyde Amendment, which says no federal funding can be used for abortions. Um, So in the South and in the places where I was filming, a number of women live below the poverty line, and they are required to pay cash for the procedure. It also means, um, you know, more than half of them have children already. Um, Most of them are married, um, but they can't you know, they can't afford to have another child, so they're making, you know, a very difficult decision. Um, But what the regulations do is mean you have to, um, you have to come back for several visits. Um, There's a 24 to 72 hour waiting period. You have to get mandatory counseling by law in places like Mississippi, where a doctor is required by law to tell you that abortion causes breast cancer. Um, So women have to take off several days from work. They have to find child care. They have to find the money for these procedures. And all of that is if they can get an appointment because the clinics are so overrun. Um, so it does really feel like there's this two-tier system. If you're a wealthy woman, you don't have to deal with any of that. You could fly to a state, you know, a city like Chicago or Florida or someplace else, um, and you can have a service you know, within a day. Um, but if you're poor and you are, as one woman, you know, we heard about she and her family could not afford a hotel, so they slept in in the parking lot of the clinic with their two other small children. Um, so, 
you know, we have um, a huge healthcare crisis in this country where people can't access, people have, you know, do not have insurance and do not have basic healthcare. Um, and yet these regulations are um, standing in the way of people getting safe and legal, safe procedures um, in a country where it is legal. And the results, you know, have been really sobering. A Texas study estimates that between 100,000 and 240,000 women have tried to self-abort since the Texas law. Um, so um, this is a very real um, danger to women's health. It's exactly the opposite of the stated purpose of the law. Um, you know, and one other thing I want to point out is the legislators who are writing these laws um, are not really hiding their intent. You have Governor Rick Perry in Texas say he wants to make abortion at any stage a thing of the past. Yeah. The governor of Mississippi says he wants his state to be abortion-free. Um, the governor of Alabama um, says, you know, he wants to restrict abortion. So you have a situation where the people passing the laws are, are you know, tipping their hand. They're saying that they are opposed to abortions. And then they pass laws that make it harder for people, particularly for poor people and low-income people, to receive the procedure in a safe manner. And uh, there's serious questions, I think, not only for healthcare, but also for our democracy. Yeah. You know, if, if these southern states can pass these laws um, violating our constitutional right, then what's to stop them from passing other laws that the religious right would like to have in place? Um, so, you know, that brings us again to why the Supreme Court case is so, so important, and also why it's important who's who's appointing justices to the court. Right, you know? right, it does. And um, I want to remind our listeners, we're speaking with Don Porter, uh, writer, producer, director of the film Trapped. Uh, it's it's opening uh, as we speak here on March 4th here in Los Angeles at the Landmark in Los Angeles, Landmark Theater in Los Angeles. And that's, uh, so there's that. It's also opening in Washington, D.C., and as well as New York City. In New York City, at the IFC Center and in Washington, D.C. at the Landmark E Street Theater. So it's opening up, and it will be rolling across the country. You can find out more about the film. You Google Trapped Documentary or go to trappeddocumentary.com. You can find out more information about this and how you can participate, be a part of helping to alleviate uh, this this problem through your in, in, and support uh, the work of uh, people in places like the Center for... Um, what is it? Center for uh, Center for Reproductive Rights? Thank yeah. you. I just okay. Thank you, Center for <laughs> Reproductive Rights and others. There are others. And um, uh, what has been the reaction? Uh, I'm curious about uh, sort of uh, the people and well, what's been the reaction to Trapped? You know, um, so the film premiered at Sundance um, and it won a special jury prize uh, for social impact filmmaking, um, which we're very very proud of. Um, and the 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 best thing of all, um, we had such a great and warm response, but I brought all of the um, abortion providers, the doctors and the clinic owners. Uh, they came to Sundance. They were there for the opening night and several screenings. Um, and, you know, they got standing ovations for their work. And it was so meaningful to them because they are often so isolated and they live in places that are so hostile to what they do. And, um, you know, they each told me when they left that um, it just made a huge difference to hear 
that there were people who supported them, that there were not just people who were, you know, they're pretty subject to daily harassment and threats on a daily basis. And to be in a place where people were on their feet cheering for them and encouraging them um, was, uh, you know, it just kind of gave me chills. It's kind of, it's why we do this. You know, if you're a documentary person, there's nothing better than having an audience see what you see in your subjects. Um, And, you know, what I see is I think they are real patriots. They are standing up for others at great personal cost. Um, They're not only physically threatened, their livelihoods are threatened. If uh, the Supreme Court upholds the Texas law, um, one woman in our film, four of her five clinics will close. Yeah. Um, and she's been fighting this legal battle for the last three years. Uh, you know, so there's a lot at stake for them. And um, having people, each of them will say at a screening um, to encourage people, write to your, find out who your local abortion providers are and write and say you support them because the only mail or feedback they get is usually negative or, or scary, yeah. you know, or threats, bomb threats people sending pretend anthrax letters. Um, There's a really day-to-day harassment that happens. Um, But the greatest threat to the clinics is really um, conservative legislators because these laws are just springing up across conservative state houses across America. Right. And in addition, you mentioned the Center for Reproductive Rights, also Planned Parenthood, which has become uh, the pinata for the Republican Party uh, continue right. to perpetuating these lies about uh, the the highly edited uh, video that got so much attention initially, and now these two people responsible for under indictment for uh, for their um, activities. Um, also, you know, we talked about the the onerous regulations being put on the providers. We talked about the access, uh, the difficulty of access for for women. Uh, the, the travel, the the time off of work. Also, really, and this is where you're talking, I think, about the among the heroes, or certainly these doctors, we don't, you know, all we have to say is, you know, Dr. Tiller, and we're reminded yeah. of not just threats, but actual, you know, harm. You can be killed doing the work that they do. Yeah. So there's a lot going on. The stakes, as as you said, are couldn't be higher. They really couldn't be because we could have a case a situation in this country where on the legally uh, legal abortions are ex- essentially unattainable in much of the country that's right and and the, that just to me just reeks of yeah of a, a country that is in serious political decline <sighs> well I your your film your <laughs> film is is wonderful and it is and we 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 are provided with some hope because we, we see it through the eyes of these people that are on the front lines once again uh, just yeah, you to, know they're, yeah, they're not giving up you yeah, know? And, yeah and that's that's what I um you know that that's to me what was so um gratifying is um there you know my my one of my favorite people is June Ayers, who runs a clinic in Montgomery, and she said, you know what, I'm Southern, too, yeah, and I'm not leaving here. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, they're they're standing up, and I think, I think people, you know, people can join them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to thank you so much, Dawn, for coming back. This is uh, your third appearance, the trifecta here on, here on Film School, <laughs> and it's always an honor to have you. Your films are just just wonderful films and continue the great work and 
And the film is uh, Trapped. You can go to tra uh, trappeddocumentary.com to find out information about the film, where it's screening, about how you can help, how you can be a part of this. And uh, all the very, very best moving forward for you. And uh, can't wait to see what's next on, on your, uh, in your life. Great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Thank you. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.